You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, these podcasts can be heard at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 125 by Rudolf Steiner, 14 Lectures, entitled Paths and Goals of the Spiritual Human Being, Life Questions in the Light of Spiritual Science, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 5. Given in Copenhagen on the 5th of June, 1910, the third lecture. If we asked a person in everyday consciousness, quote, what is it that we call the I, capital, close quote, we would get the answer that such self-consciousness had to be sought within the boundaries enclosed by the skin. Our view can be proven through the fact that the seat of the soul must be sought in the head and the heart. But spiritual science sees that differently, only it is not easy to understand. We come closer to the spiritual reality if we try to clarify the super-sensory facts for ourselves. People cannot come close to the truth with the concepts and words which they use without this research. We will get a good understanding of that if we make use of a single picture. Think of a seafarer sailing the seas. Here the external factors are the important, the determining thing. How he sails the ship depends on the state of the ocean, whether islands appear in the ocean, what the sky is doing, and other things. The captain and sailors make their decisions on the basis of all these external facts. The external facts are what matter to them. Now some might think that when the ship reaches port, she is at rest. All work stops for a period. But that is not the case. A different kind of work starts. There the ship no longer does the work, but work is done on the ship. Damage from the voyage is repaired. The hold is filled with new cargo, and so on. In this way, the voyage and the time that the ship lies in port can be compared with human life, with life during the day and life during the night. Only there is one difference, and this is that human beings are not involved in the work during the night. During the work in port, the ship must be made serviceable by the workers and sailors for her next voyage. But everything which in the daytime work of human beings provokes action through the senses stops working at night. Our senses, which have done the work in our body during the day, are at rest during the night. The work of the day rests like the ship in port. And yet work does take place in the human being which makes him or her capable of starting a new day's work. In this way we can come closer to the concept of what the actual spiritual part in the human being is. It is not enclosed by a person's skin, but extends beyond the physical human being. The actual spiritual entity extends its feelers into the human being. It sends the essential part, the spiritual part, into the human being. Where is the actual I, capital, located in the human being? We find the spiritual human being, the supersensory ego human being, surrounding the physical human being. 
and when we look at the human aura, which is formed like an egg, then the ego consciousness will work most effectively in the shell, in the auric egg. It is this fact which leads to a proper solution to the problem. I referred to twelve points on the horizon. The occultist has to know them. They exist there even if they are not recognized by everyone. These twelve points constantly send their forces into human beings. They are attacked from these twelve points in the various points of their aura. It is only because their eye surrounds them that they are capable of making the cosmic forces one with themselves. Human beings must feel that they are part of the cosmos. That makes them capable of perception and in that way it becomes possible for them to acquire capabilities of apprehension which correspond to the points we have just talked about. They are embedded in these twelve points. The divine spiritual forces act into the human being through these points. If you are able to contemplate and observe this, you will understand the paths and goals of the spiritual human being. Human beings have to be able to integrate this feeling into their lives. Spiritual science enables them to become familiar with the sum of forces through which they can fulfill this transformation in themselves. Let us consider our simple everyday lives. Someone might hasten through the world and encounter many things on which they could reflect, which they could work on in their spirit, but they do not make the least effort to transform what they have experienced into work or indeed even just think about it more deeply. The only thing they want to do is have, in quotes, experiences and rush from one sensation to the next. Then there is another type of person who goes through life without paying the least attention to the external world. They brood on and speculate about their own thoughts. They do not notice what is going on around them. They are constantly brooding. Neither extreme is of benefit for human beings. But there is a middle position, and that is this, to interweave everything we experience with our own thoughts. This middle state is the most beneficial one for human beings in the external world. Let us assume a young man is preparing for his exams. He has worked hard, the time of the exam approaches, and with it the anxiety about the exam. The young man keeps thinking that on the day of the exam he might be asked the one question about which he feels least secure, about which he knows least, that is at work in his thoughts. The exam goes well, it determines the rest of his life. It is the gateway to his further life. Now it can happen that in the further course of his existence he is pursued by a dream, and in this dream the anxiety about the exam of his youth appears all the things he thought he did not know at the time. The soul is intimately connected with this, and the occult observer sees the web that is spun in the dream. What is woven there has not contributed at all to the life that has passed, but the occultist knows that it will turn into useful forces in the next life. It can also happen differently. The dream stops at the age of forty-five. Observing himself, the person discovers that quite new characteristics appear. It might be experienced, for example, 
that in his advanced years he has a lot more courage than he possessed in his youth. The states of anxiety of his youth and the associated will to overcome them have been quietly at work in the inner human being. Forty-five years later, these forces have turned into their opposite. There is always something weaving and working inside the human being, and the thing which is at work there is the astral body. It works for so long in the etheric body until what has been experienced has been interwoven with the etheric body and has become a true characteristic. In normal life, it only appears as a characteristic. In the next life, Quite unusual cases like the one just mentioned can also occur. In this way, human beings process their external experiences, and the same thing happens with the extrasensory situations of life, which require us to process them with our eye. How does the spiritual human being work with regard to external circumstances? The external circumstances come to us, but the web that transforms our abilities is spun from inside. We weave into the human being the things which originate in the eternal spirit. We have to approach the external, but the spiritual approaches us. Let us assume that a person, for one or another reason, becomes interested in something, for example, looking more closely at a tree. They have to approach the tree, must give themselves up to the tree in order to achieve a result but it is different with spiritual results. They come to us. We have to wait for them to arrive. The key thing about external experiences is that they are transitory in nature, but those which come to us by way of theosophy are based on spiritual ground. We weave them into our interior as something everlasting. We have to go toward external things, but the spiritual has to come to us, And the more we make ourselves capable of receiving the spiritual, the more it ripples toward us from the spiritual worlds and turns into our property. The human beings who live as poets among us and have created and produced something are always those who, in times past, allowed the supersensory to flow into them. We have to learn to think more. We have to be able to think logically and in a reasoned way, and then make our soul very still. Then we will not have waited in vain. The Spirit will, correspondingly, flow into our soul, to which we ourselves have opened the way. We have to learn to preserve the mood of anticipation. The best thing is not the thing we brood on. We are meant to obtain everything through the work we do on our thinking, not through ourselves. We can only fertilize our spirit through sharp thinking and then waiting. It has to stream into us when we have learned to observe the proper processes and these processes have to work together with the thinking, feeling and volition. There are three parts of our soul life, thinking, feeling and volition. A person sees a rose. They recognize it as such through their thinking life. They admire the form and color that awakens certain feelings in them. They stretch out their hand to grasp the rose and thereby express an act of will. But important results 
depend on the way in which the person now treats these characteristics, which can be crucial for the rest of their life. For example, a person might meet another one toward whom they feel a pronounced antipathy. They see that they cannot free themselves from the person they dislike, and the feeling that is aroused by that constraint makes them angry. Thinking, feeling, and the will are involved in this process. The different courses which these processes take can often be observed in daily life. The anger of one person quickly ebbs away. They do not want to carry such feelings around with them for long, and the better feelings gain the upper hand. Another, in contrast, carries their anger with them for the whole day. They do not find the flexibility to shake it off. The first person who quickly shakes off their agitation will remain a mentally healthy person. They might reach a a great age. But the other who becomes angry at every little thing and carries their anger around with them for a long time will age early. Such constant agitation will eat away at their body. There is a saying, never go to sleep angry. That is when the effects start to weave in the soul and we weave the passions into the human being. What we experience out of the spirit acts on our soul and it is quite a different matter whether our experiences only remain theoretical or whether they are transmitted to the feelings. Let us assume a person incorporates much of a spiritual nature in themselves and what they incorporate penetrates the human being. What is incorporated really only becomes productive for the spiritual human being when they embrace what is incorporated with enthusiasm and love. Only at that point does that work also become work of the inner human being. They draw out the spiritual and make it a part of their spiritual eye. It is the feelings which help us to make our spiritual acquisition our own. Human beings live in an aura, and when the theosophical truths are incorporated by the spiritual human being, the aura is strongly set in motion. The I, capital, is the motor of that movement. How is that process revealed to the clairvoyant I, E-Y-E? When love and enthusiasm for the great spiritual thoughts take hold of the human being, everything comes to life in the aura. And the result of this higher thought life is such that it has a cleansing effect on the aura. All material wishes and musings gather into balls, and these balls become denser and denser as our spiritual work increases. They become smaller and smaller until the purifying light of spiritual thinking has dissolved and dispelled them. When the clairvoyant eye sees a person watching a sunrise, Similar phenomena can be observed. Something similar happens in the aura of the observer in the reverent joy which the person can feel in this natural spectacle. For as long as such a person lets something beautiful act on their interior, the effect of this process is a dissolving one in the aura and many bad things are turned to good. Being able to take pleasure and the ability of contemplation have a purifying effect on the soul, and in such moments the soul is capable of assimilating new spiritual things because the stream of higher forces has found an entry. But the opposite can also happen. 
When a person does not allow a great natural spectacle which has acted on them to linger in their thoughts, if nothing remains in them of all that beauty, and they turn to other things after fleeting enjoyment, the following can happen. Everything conglomerates in the aura of such a person. A soul and spiritual task which they came across was carelessly ignored and now lives itself out in the dark. Then it can happen that lies find entry into their interior. Working on the ability to let an event leave an impression on and be preserved in the feelings, that is the work of the spiritual human being. If all of us learned this, then spiritual science would lead to paths and goals which would be widely beneficial. If the only work which was done was brain work, if there was strife and discord among theosophists, little of what is bad would be transformed into good. The law of karma will show human beings how to work in the right way. For those who can have enthusiastic feelings about theosophy and know how to find consolation in it, the higher spiritual sciences are a blessing because they bring consolation and strength under all circumstances. No one leaves these sciences without consolation. The greater our goals, the more our striving will be penetrated by ideals and human beings will carry them out into the world. We pursue spiritual science and interweave it with our inner human being. It penetrates us and we can carry it out among other people. We have to work on these goals as much as we are able. We do not have the right to leave the paths and goals of the spiritual human being unobserved. It is our duty to interweave the soul element with the physical world. Human beings are the entrance gate, the only spiritual gate in the physical and material world through which the heavens can flow in. We can dissolve the lead of materialism by allowing the spiritual truths to penetrate. Only when human beings work on human development do they contribute to life and not to death. Walking the paths and goals of the spiritual human being means pursuing the task of turning the supersensory into the soul element. The end of Lecture 5